to my podcast, Camel in a Dark Room. So today I have a fun guest with me. Her name is Shallon. We actually worked together a few years ago, like what, five, Mm -hmm. about five years ago at a rehabilitation center for women. And that's where I got to know her and got to know a little bit of her story. And I've just kind of seen her story unfold on social media. And I just think it's super inspiring. So I wanted to bring her on today to share that with you guys. So Shallon, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. So you just want to kind of start by telling us your story and go from there. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll just kind of start from the beginning, but a lot of what I have learned about myself, I've really only learned in the last couple of years through a lot of different kinds of therapy. But so growing up, I have an older brother and two very younger sisters. Um, My youngest sister um, was adopted. She's actually my cousin. Um, But there was, you know, some drugs involved in that. So anyway, so I grew up um, as a dancer. I started dancing when I was about three years old and um, I still travel and teach now. But at a very, very young age, I had learned that I wanted to succeed. Um, I had learned, I think, without my dad meaning to to put it off this way, he always told me how much better I could do, rather than letting me know how good I was doing. Um, So if I got an A, he said, okay, that's great, let's next time, let's have an A+. Um, And and he meant it in a way to motivate me, but, you know, my little brain didn't know how to really comprehend that other than gosh I'm not good enough a lot of pressure Uh I have to always keep doing yes always can be better it's never good enough and so I think his pressures coming in that way um you know started my struggles a little bit with perfectionism but then also growing up in dance there is a lot of that perfectionism just growing up in a studio um I had some really really great teachers but you know there are little things that I remember growing up um you know looking in the mirror sucking in looking at my friends and their leotard and tights and wondering why I didn't look like that mm-hmm. um I think my body image distortion started pretty pretty early as well um you know my mom growing up always told me that it was body fat or baby fat that I still had and mm-hmm. um you know but I'm 14 years old and I'm like why do I still have baby fat mm-hmm. um and so I just remember always being in- insecure um when it came to dance I was very very shy growing up um I was kind of an an oddball. I didn't have very many friends in school. Um, I hung out with like the popular crowd, if you will, but I was never the outgoing one. I was always kind of in the shadows there. Um, In dance, I was, you know, always one of the best dancers in the room. I was always in the front row. I I got a lot of praise that way, Um, but still I felt very insecure and I I didn't know that I was feeling insecure. To me, that was just normal to feel that way. I I just always felt that way. I never knew anything different. Um, as far as you know, my eating disorder goes, I remember the very, very first time that I ever made myself throw up. Um, it was my senior year in high school. Um, my drill team was in, we were, it was either California or Florida, I can't remember, but we were on our nationals trip. And I remember sitting in our hotel room with um, you know, a bunch of the girls from my drill team and we were all eating you know, the Mickey Mouse popcorn and um, just eating. And I remember looking at one specific girl who was always very little. She was just built little. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking, how come she can eat this and look like that, and I eat this and I look like me? Mm-hmm. Um, keep in mind, I, I was a thin yeah. girl, but just my body distortion was so out of whack. Um, and I remember right then, um, in the room, I went into the bathroom. They were all in the living room, still sitting on the bed. Um, I turned on the water, and I made myself throw up for the first time. What do you think kind of taught you to do that or like even brought you that know, specifically I, I that's the thing that I don't even know it must have been movies that I saw okay um I mean even like in eighth grade I went on my very first diet my mom was a vegetarian growing up and I went on my first diet with her and it was kind of like a, a fun thing to do with my mom um you know I mean I watched my mom growing up diet on and off all the time um my mom was very very thin um, my mom had has very low self-esteem as well and I think that also played into it I mean I would watch my dad you know tell my mom gosh honey you look so beautiful you're so beautiful and she would go oh shut up stop mm-hmm. and so I remember thinking gosh if my mom thinks that she's ugly like what am I right. if my mom thinks she's fat what am I mm-hmm. and so it was kind of all of these little things building up to that moment um you know when I was a senior in high school that finally was the final trigger 
Um, I think I did have these small, you know, punitive triggers throughout my entire life, but that was the one that I was finally, I felt so disgusted with myself at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember feeling so full from the popcorn. I remember looking at her and she was happy and laughing and skinny and mm-hmm. I, I wanted that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've probably from TV shows or- You don't remember like what got the whole throw me up thing? Yeah, happened. I okay. just, it was very impulsive. Um, I just remember going into the bathroom just doing and, it. and doing it, Stick, huh, sticking my fingers down my throat, yeah. And that's where it's scary because it's like you have no idea where it came yeah. from. Again, I remember specifically watching the Tracy Gold documentary and that's what triggered mine. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. But before, like other than that, I don't know how other girls, I always wonder how other people kind of get yeah. started to think about doing it. Yeah, I mean, and it probably, you know, growing up dancing, I probably heard about it and you know, I, I honestly, I don't know. That's a good question. I've never really thought about that. It was just instinct almost. Yeah. It was almost like, you know, an animal that comes out of a womb and just automatically knows how to clean itself. And mm-hmm. that's how I almost felt. I just knew that I needed to get rid of the calories and to do that, I stick my fingers on my throat and I, I do it. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling so powerful. I remember looking at myself in the mirror and smiling like, there you go. Okay. That's yeah. how we're going to do this. And I went back out with everyone, acted like nothing happened. No one knew. Um, that night on my cell phone, I remember looking up all of these diets, um, and I spent like $300 that night on some diet, like workbook and meal plan. And, um, because I kind of had thought, you know, I don't know that I want to throw up because I don't want people to hear me. So how else can I do this? Mm-hmm. And I started Googling, you know, how do you get skinny? How do you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember boarding the, the shuttle the next morning, heading to the airport to go home um, and getting the confirmation that what I had just ordered was being sent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, where my restricting started. Um, I, so I'm 5'9", almost 5'10". Mm-hmm. Um, in about, gosh, within about a month, um, I had lost a severe amount of weight. My my dance teachers um, were worried about me. They kept asking if I was okay. Um, I had ribs sticking out everywhere, hip bones sticking out everywhere. Because um, you're already naturally thin. Yeah. And so on top of that, I'm sure 10 pounds on you looks like yeah. huge. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, and weight wise, I mean, now I don't care about the weight, but I remember being so proud of my 110 pounds at 510. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was, I was very thin. Um, my hair was thinning. Um, yeah, it just kind of had started this whole thing. I remember I would only eat special case cereal, and then I was doing this meal plan. Um, I uh, then I started also going um, to the gym. Um, so I started going to the gym. I didn't know how. Um, actually backing up I remember losing a bunch of weight and feeling pretty good um, and I had kind of fallen off the wagon if you will of starving myself I think I had gained some weight back um, and I remember going to the doctor and being weighed and I was like 130 pounds mm-hmm. and that that triggered me I was like okay I've got to start doing something and that that day I got I went home went straight home got my shoes on went to the gym that I had never been to and so you never, never, never like worked out no. or anything before just dance no, just dance never even knew how so I went to the gym ran on the treadmill for an hour um, and I remember watching a trainer um he was training people and I was like gosh he can probably help me so I remember watching him and I went for about a week and I watched him every single day and I finally went up and asked him, hey, will you train me? So we started training my very first session. I almost passed out. Oh and gosh. he said, what did you eat today? And I was like, oh, I've had, oh gosh, I've had a lot today already. I don't know what my, you know, what my problem is. And he just called me out on my crap. He was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to train you unless you start eating. And that was really the first time that I was like, gosh, I need to okay, so he can still help me be skinny, but I can still eat, maybe that's the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got me hooked up with a nutritionist. Um, long story short, I got involved in doing the bikini competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of got me started into that, which was a perfect storm for me because I was perfect on my meal plan, I was perfect on my workouts, and that perfectionism thing came back in. Mm-hmm. So, and for me, if I was perfect on my meal plan but missed two of my meals, that was even better because I ate what I was supposed to, but then I still missed two meals, so I ate less, so I'm going to get skinnier faster. Right. Um, so you still restricted from eating this healthy diet, yes. so which is already super low calories in that type of industry, you know, you're trying yes. to get super skinny quickly, so yeah, I mean, I can only imagine you're probably just having yeah. hardly anything. Oh yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, you know, five almonds here, and then half an apple here, and 
and I would, you know, cut down even the meal plans then. Um, so I started doing, you know, the competitions. I was, you know, in a, in a sense, I was balanced in a way where I was still eating some food. I was still working out. I was pretty happy with my body. Um, you know, at home alone, I would still, you know, pinch myself and, you know, wish that I could cut off some of my stomach and things like that. But it got to a point where I was kind of under pressure and I started doing some national shows um, because I was doing really well in my competitions. I was winning first place. I was getting nationally accredited. Um, I went to a national show and didn't place. And just that, that feeling of not being good enough had triggered a binge. Um, and that's when I started binging and purging. Um, I was in Colorado. I remember right after the show, I took a taxi, went to the store, got a bunch of donuts and candy and all of these things and, and binged and purged. And from then I was binging and purging, you know, it started, it started about once a day. It got up to about four to five times a day. So that's about the time it became consistent. Yes. Yes. Not just kind of back and forth. Yep. Yep. So, and that was when it was very consistent binge and purge. There really wasn't a lot of restricting, minus the fact that after I would binge and purge, maybe the next day I would try not to eat, but then it would just trigger another binge because I would be so hungry. Right. And it was just this, this awful cycle. Um, I remember my face got very, very puffy. I started getting really bad acne from all the toxins that I was throwing up. Um, I just wasn't looking right. My eyes were always puffy. I wasn't sleeping at night. Um, my parents, I remember they, yeah, my parents, you know, they, they didn't really get it. My mom, you know, like being skinny to them was always a good thing mm-hmm. um, because that's something that my mom always kind of really prided herself on, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And so my dad kind of had leaned into that and said, yeah, being skinny is good. Um, and I remember they asked me like, if I was on steroids because of the acne and, and asked, they, they thought it was that route. They never thought that it was an eating disorder route. Mm-hmm. They, they just didn't, I don't know if it was just naive or that they didn't want to know. Um, but at that time they, they never asked um, besides working on steroids, which, right. which I wasn't, but surprisingly. <laughs> um, and anyway, so, Kind of backing up on that, I remember I was I taught dance, um, so at this time I was probably 20, 21 at this point. Um, I taught dance at a studio up in Heber, um, and I remember I was in the bathroom um, in between classes, um, purging, and a student walked in on me, and that was like the lowest of all lows. I remember just feeling just disgusted mm-hmm. that she had seen me because the look on her face was just horror and did she know, say and, anything and probably she thought I was sick you know but I knew okay. what I was doing and so but she was just like you know really really scared and kind of ran out and and I just felt awful um and I and I left I didn't even talk to anyone but I left so my I still have classes that night but I was like I, I can't do this anymore I'm done I was driving again the studio <clears throat> excuse me was up in Heber I was driving down Parley's Canyon and was gonna put it on cruise control and let the steering wheel go. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was my best idea at the time. Um, I was done. I felt disgusting. I felt exhausted from all of this. No one knew what I was doing. Just the weight of carrying, you know, all of those secrets um, mm-hmm. and trying to act like I'm okay and being like, oh wow, you're so fit. You're you must be so happy. You must be all this, but right. really I was so insecure still and, and hated my body, hated myself, thought that I was weak because I couldn't control my food. The, all these thoughts were running through my head. Um, and my phone rang right then, which, you know, whatever power you believe in for me, it was a God thing for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I answered the phone and, uh, the, the man that had called me said, I, I had a feeling to call you. Are you okay? And I just started like bawling. Um, and he was actually a fellow trainer um, that I had, you know, kind of been involved with um, on and off dating. Um, but anyway, so he kind of helped me from there. I started doing some outpatient stuff, um, you know, with a therapist regarding the eating. But I kind of, to be honest with you, I shoved my eating disorder under a rug. Um, I decided to not binge or purge anymore. I decided to not restrict, even though the thoughts were still there. I just kind of had made a promise to myself that I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, only to find out years later, it just kind of came back up again. But so I kind of shot everything under the rug, um, tried my best to stay sane, to be honest. Um, you know, fast forward a couple years, so I'm, I'm 29 now, um, about five years ago, 
um, is when I really started to decide that I needed to change. I've, I've been very, very insecure. Um, I've dated just the most narcissist men on the planet. I've always been in abusive relationships. I've always, you know, been insecure, like I said, and I was in these abusive relationships. Now I know because that's what I thought I deserved. Mm -hmm. I felt so ugly and so little that these relationships that treated me that way, I felt were right. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of, lots of, you know, infidelity, lots of um, physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. Um, my, my poor dad all the time was like, why, why are you so insecure that you have to date these people? And it would bug mm -hmm. me, you know, because I'm like, how do you know that, first of all? Yeah. And second of all, I'm not, you know, this is just what it is. Um, so I really started going to therapy a couple years ago, um, just trying to figure out, because I felt so unhappy. The thought of, the, the thoughts of suicide never came again until this last year, actually, which is, Kind of crazy to to think about because I have been you know sober from my eating disorder for five years now. Um, so five years when you say that you kind of realized you need to change. It's funny because that's when I remember we that's when we met mm -hmm. and I remember specifically this. I don't know why this is always stuck in my head. Outside and you were crying and we were and we started talking about it and we started talking about eating disorders. I was struggling at the same time and. I don't even know how it got brought up. We were on hold, waiting to talk to like a therapist mm -hmm. over the phone oh or something. Oh my gosh, I do remember that. And yeah. I was like worried about it. And I remember like I texted you and I was like, hey, are you okay? I just remember kind of seeing that breaking point mm -hmm. of when that happened. And so, yeah, so what I mean, do you know what happened in that moment that triggered it? You know what it is, is so five years ago, I started working at the treatment center. Right. Um, and I, I didn't really understand mental health or addictions outside of myself. I knew what it looked like for me, but I didn't know if it was affecting anyone else, and I didn't really know what it looked like. Um, and going in and starting at this treatment center, I saw these women that were me, mm -hmm. um, or, or what I was about to be. Right. Um, you know, at the, at the time I was, I was binge drinking a lot. Um, I was, you know, very... You were in a toxic relationship yes. as well, right? Yep. Yeah, story of my life, pretty much. But yeah, I was I was in a relationship at the time where he was actually um, addicted to pills, mm -hmm. and, and I didn't know what that looked like. Um, so in a sense, this job, I mean, I'm still at this treatment center, and in a sense, this this job has saved my life in many ways. Um, seeing the women, seeing their reflections of myself, um, seeing how insecure they were, seeing what they thought about themselves, um, when I saw how much beauty they had, but seeing, you know, hearing how they felt about themselves, that was, that was me. Mm -hmm. um, and I just had this whirlwind of, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up here. Yeah. Um, it's very humbling working in a place like that. Yes. That's why, I mean, I've done it this whole time too. And even working with teenagers and adults and all of it, it's just like, oh wow. I was like the teenage thing. It's like, okay, I was, I remember being at this point. And then like you said, the adult thing, you're like, oh wow, I'm, I'm this close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, and it, and it scared me. It did. It scared me because I'm like, I am so close to this breaking point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had never done drugs or anything, but I kind of triggered like, oh, well, I'd probably like them. And mm -hmm. if I keep going down this road, I'll probably try them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just kind of, so I think that opened it up. And then also seeing their behaviors in the rehab um, and then me going home to uh, my boyfriend at the time, seeing his behaviors. Uh, that's how I learned that he yeah, was problem. addicted to yeah medications and he was stealing from my roommate and all this stuff and so that is how that relationship ended actually because he didn't he didn't want help he didn't see the issue mm. um, so I think that that is you know kind of kind of that I was so afraid of what I saw in the treatment center and I but I also was more not even afraid that what I saw but I was afraid at how close to home it hit me mm -hmm. um, because I, I felt the way that these women felt I I thought the way that these women thought the only thing that was missing was was drugs um, you know, the men were there, the sleeping around was there, the, the eating disorder stuff was there, the thoughts were there, all of these other things were there, the self-sabotage was there, and um, I just, I was afraid. Right. So do you think, so was your eating disorder back, like, full swing again, or was it kind of just on and off? It was kind of on and off again at that time. Um, the thoughts always would come, and it would be like I would, you know, restrict for two weeks, and then I couldn't do it anymore. And then I would feel stupid and out of control and like a failure because I couldn't keep it up. And it was just this constant battle of, yeah, self-esteem and, and shame and guilt and, and all of that at the time. So since then, yeah, that's when I started going to therapy and have kind of 
That's what's happened in the last five years. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is going on like now? So I think really my eating disorder for me that I've learned, my eating disorder was a way for my mental health to scream. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that my, my eating disorder is, you know, under control, I have noticed more of my mental health coming to the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, Mental health for me is a lot of depression, um, a a lot of suicidal thoughts for sure. Um, A year ago, I was probably at the lowest point mental health wise. I was still kind of doing some self-sabotaging behaviors dating wise, Um, you know, going out with men that I shouldn't go out with, kind of going into scenes that I shouldn't be going into, things that I just knew weren't healthy for me. Um, and I, you know, I was, I was suicidal. Yeah, I, I, my plan, my best idea that day was to jump out of my car on the freeway. Um, and I was very, very fortunate and lucky enough to have my, my bosses um, that I worked for. They could tell that something was going on. Um, so they kind of intervened and came in and asked me to go to treatment. Um, which I was like, for what? what? I don't do drugs. I don't, you know, I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't really, we're not, we're not dumb. We know that you drink, you know, we know that you're binge drinking. We know that your mental health is not okay. Mm-hmm. So they, they sent me to a treatment center. Um, and I was there for almost 40 days. Um, but that is where I learned how much of a mask I wear every single day. Yeah. I had no idea that you were in treatment. That's yeah. crazy. So when you went to treatment and they told you that you're going to go to treatment, what was kind of your thoughts? Like, other than, wait, I don't have any problems. And then after they kind of said, you know, called you out on it, did you, did it all kind of come to your head of like, oh, you're right? Or what was your thoughts? You know, I I agreed to go because the fear of losing my job Mm. was more important than me getting help. So that was on the line. You were like, I'll go for you. Yep. And I thought, you know, I can't tell my dad that I got fired. How how upset would he be? I can't lose my job. Because at that time, my, my job was my identity. Um, I was very successful in my job. Um, you know, I, I started doing like the marketing. I was training all of our, you know, marketers and finding new relationships in in the business. And so I I was kind of known in our community of rehab centers. You know, that I was there for so long. I was successful. I was like their it girl. Right. That was my identity. I didn't have an identity outside of that because mm-hmm. all that I did was work. Because I do have these, you know, extremes where if it's food, it's extreme. If it's work, it's extreme. Right. If it's working out, it's extreme. It's all or nothing. Yes. Um, and so that was that was why I went. My my fear my fear of losing my job and not having that identity anymore was more important. And I remember asking him, "Do you promise I'll have a job when I get back? Do you promise?" And he was like, "Yes." Um, Long story short, I ended up losing my job while I was in there, um, and that was that was very very hard for me. But while I was in treatment, I think the the biggest thing that I had learned that I still try to apply today. Um, so that was a year ago now. Um, so this last year has been probably the most growth wise for me. Um, the biggest thing that I learned, like I said, was that my mask that I wear, it was it was a constant mask, um, and I was exhausted mm-hmm. of it. it. It's hard to to play the part every single day. Um, and I think a lot of us think that being vulnerable is weak, when mm-hmm. really what I've learned is being vulnerable is the strongest thing that we can do. Right. Um, it helps us relate to so many different people, and it also just helps us kind of check in with ourselves. Um, being vulnerable to me has allowed me to open up this relationship that I'm in now that's one of the first healthy relationships I've been in. It's allowed me to open my relationship back up with God. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, because I went through a lot of years of shame saying mm-hmm. he doesn't want anything to do with me right. because I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I'm not doing what he wants me to do. Just all the shame and guilt, right. you know, tornadoes that happen. Um, but that was, the, that was the biggest thing that I learned that it's okay because I always would say it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. That's what I did with my job. It's okay to not be okay. But it was not okay for me to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Like that was a whole different line. For right. Me. And so I finally learned that, hey, it's okay for me to need help too. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be quite honest, I think that learning that has made me an even more compassionate person. And also I've had so much more empathy for people that that I, I never had before. You know, before it was like, gosh, I, I want to help them so bad. Um, I can't believe that they feel like that. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see if I can fix it. That was my thing. Right. I just wanted to fix everyone. Um, and just learning how to have empathy for myself um, and just compassion for myself and Give yourself some grace. Yeah. Yeah. Compassion for the little girl that, you know, didn't know how to take her mom hating herself or, 
you know, her dad's teacher saying, you know, oh, suck in your stomach, or, you know, didn't know how to take the, the boy not wanting to date her. You know, my little brain didn't know how to comprehend all of that. Um, you know, stimuli at one time, and so I, I took it the way that I took it and kind of rolled with it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's so much power in learning where my beliefs came from and why I believed the way that I did, because now I have the choice to either keep believing that way or I have the choice to change my belief system. And that's the one thing that I have done is that all of this knowledge has given me the power to either say, okay, I'm going to keep on going down this path because this is what I know, and yes, I'm miserable, but I know how to live this way. Right. Or I can say, okay, that was miserable, I know how to do that, I know why I thought that way, and now I have the power to choose this other path. Right. Well, because I've said in my one of my past episodes that being in misery, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's a comfortable place to be. And I mean, for a very long time, I was like, you know what, yeah, I'm this victim, and I'm this and that. But it was because it's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And so anything that different than that was scary for me. Oh, so I'd much rather sit in my misery and discomfort than yeah. try to step out of it and yeah. do something else because that's scarier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, my, I remember my therapist that I, I've been seeing him now for, gosh, about a year and a half, and he's just fantastic. But I remember, you know, I started seeing him when I was in the brink of my the worst of my worst mental health-wise, um, you know, before I went to treatment. Okay, so and he's not from treatment. He's no, outside. Yeah, okay. so he was outside. Um, and he, I remember he would always tell me, you know, because I would tell him the thoughts that I think about myself and, you know, how insecure I am and just how it was normal to think that way. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't see anything wrong with it because I didn't know how to do it different. Right. And I remember he would always say, what is your choice in what you say to yourself? And, and I, it would piss me off. You know, <laughs> I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice in what I say. It just happens. This is autopilot. It just happens. Yeah. And and then when I went to treatment, I kind of didn't have to worry about the outside world, and I really had 40 days just to sit and be with myself, mm-hmm. which was hard. It was so hard for me to do because I would, you know, want to grab at everything else and fix other people so that I didn't have to look at myself. Um, but while I was in there, I, I finally understood, oh, my gosh, I, I do have the choice in what I say. Yes, this is autopilot right now, but I taught myself to do this, and so I can right. unteach myself. Right. and teach myself to do something else um, easier said than done of course because you know like I said this was a year ago and I still have my days that it's a know. long struggle especially oh, yeah. mental health and I've said that before too every day. it's a fight every day it's yeah. not something and unfortunately it's not something that really goes away it's something you learn to cope with yeah. and you learn to live with on a day-to-day basis and like you said some days are better than others but it's not something that you just wake up one day and you're like oh my mental health's gone and yeah. I'm healed and it's, yeah, yeah no you have days that are good days and you have days that are just okay, and right. you have days that absolutely suck. Right. Um, you know, my my depression can be debilitating at times, um, for sure. Where I don't want to get out of bed, I don't want to eat, or I want to eat everything. Um, you know, I don't sleep. You know, it just it, it triggers all of these things, and I just have to keep myself safe. So I still do therapy, you know, once a week, mm-hmm. um, just to do that. I, I journal. There's lots of different things that I've learned that that help me stay okay in that moment. Uh huh. Um, so that I don't, you know, take 72 steps back. Um, the other thing with that is learning that we're always going to take some steps back mm-hmm. um, and learning to to have compassion for yourself and be okay with that. Right. Because um, before, if I took a couple steps back, I would be like, hey, screw it. I might as well just go clear back yeah. here and start completely over and hang out with this person and go back to my ex and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but now I'm saying, okay, if I go back seven steps, that's better than what I did last year when it was right. back all the way. And yeah. so that is one thing that I've had to learn to kind of be patient with myself for one and not having it, not having it. It's okay to not be okay. Yes. Exactly. That's, that's the biggest thing. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be like, you know what? I don't want to like be in this life today. Today I just want to sit in my house and do nothing and feel bad for myself sometimes. Yeah. Like it's okay to be in that space. Yeah. It's staying in that space. That's the yeah, problem. For sure. After, you know, a little bit of time, but it's okay to feel it. Let yourself feel it because I feel like, Personally, I'm sure you being in that rehab and sitting in it is what taught you how to pull yourself out of it. So can you kind of talk about like what was it going through your head during those 40 days and kind of the beginning process to the end process of that? Yeah, the, the you know, once I finally got there, um, I went down to St. George. So my boss drove me to St. George that day, literally right after our meeting, he took me to my house, we packed my stuff and we left. Um, did you call your family and tell them? I did when we were like halfway there finally because I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to tell them. They had no idea that I was struggling at all. You know, like I said, most people in my life had no idea mm-hmm. for 28 years that 
that I had these thoughts, that I struggled, that I still had triggers for my eating disorder, that I some days didn't want to live mm -hmm. um, to the point where there were plans in place mm -hmm. to not be here anymore. Um, so finally halfway, I, I called my dad, you know, and I told him that I was going and he didn't get it, but he was like, for what? And I just told him, you know, for mental health, for depression. And he was like, okay, and didn't really get it, didn't ask questions, which I was like, so glad that he yeah. didn't. Because um, <laughs> as I was there, I got to kind of like be open with him and he came down and saw me and we kind of talked about it. And so it was nice to have that space to be able to figure out how do I tell someone that I'm lying to. Tells. Yeah you know, that I've liked you for 28 years. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad is like my very best friend. Right. And that was the hardest thing too, is because he had no idea that I was struggling because I know he would have, you know, done all he could to help. But sometimes, you know, we, we can't fix people. And I think- They're not ready to be fixed. Yeah. And I think that would have been hard on him. He, he wanted to take the pain away. But, so while I was there, you know, my first couple of days, I, I did finally realize that it was just me alone. <laughs> I mean, there was, you know, other, right. um, you know, addicts that were trying to get sober and things like that. And so I was the only one that was there for just purely, you know, mental health. And that was kind of hard. And But I remember looking at myself in the mirror and really realizing, holy crap, I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. I don't recognize myself. I had, like I said, my identity was my work. Um, if if my work wasn't going well, that means that I wasn't well. Right. If my work sucked, I sucked. And I just, the two parallel each other for me. And were you single at this time or kind of what was that? I was, yes, yeah. I mean, I was trying to date. Yeah, I was dating a couple different people. Um, I had just gotten back on like Tinder um, right before that. Um, so just really trying, trying to search for trying something. To find, yeah, I was, it was, it's always about, for me, it is external validation. Mm -hmm. It's external validation from men, from from other women, from my bosses, from anything. Mm -hmm. It's extra validation if they can tell me that I'm okay or that I'm wanted or that I look good or that I'm special, that I am. Right. If I don't hear that, then I'm a piece of crap. Right. That's, that, those were the parallels for me. Um, and so being there, you know, looking at myself in the mirror, I just remember how dark my eyes looked. The very first group that I went into there, I was so pissed off because the therapist had us passing around this mirror and we had to look in the mirror and say, I love you and I'm sorry to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I lost my mind. <laughs> like I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not going to do this. Like, screw you guys. Screw this. Like, I was pissed off. I'm like, that's what you're going to have me do right away yeah. here. Um, so my first couple days were very low. I was embarrassed. I had a lot of shame. Um, I'm with... I was with a couple people that I had actually helped get into treatment a couple of years ago that were kind of repeats, you know, back back in through the door. Um, so to be honest, it was... So that's probably like a very, what's the word I'm looking for, like your self-esteem. Oh, yeah. Probably like, like you said, embarrassed, yes. shame, all of that. So, so much shame and embarrassment. Finally, I got to the point where I was very humbled. Mm -hmm. um, it was the most humbling experience for me, and I think it was the only way that I knew that it was okay for me to not be okay too mm -hmm. um because yeah i'm seeing these women that you know they were like oh my gosh but you like saved my life which i don't think that i saved anyone's life i just gave them a resource to save their own life but right. you know they're in there with me and they're like gosh i always just thought that you were so put together and so this it's actually really inspiring to see that you struggle mm -hmm. and that was that was huge for me because i had opened up about my eating disorder in the past mm -hmm. um, and i had heard you know people saying, wow, that strength, that vulnerability, that's amazing. But I like to control where I was vulnerable, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I shared about my eating disorder in the past. I'm so vulnerable, I'm about to feel like this. Yep. Yeah, and then that's it. You ask more questions, I'm shutting down. Yeah. So it was it was kind of nice to learn like that now this is kind of my journey. And that's the thing is, you know, it started with low self-esteem, then it went into, you know, eating disorder. And now I'm kind of in the season of my life where mental health is a huge battle for me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just is. You, know? you can recognize it now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is I think being in treatment, I learned how to feel because mm -hmm. when I did feel these things, I would just go to the next thing that would make me feel good, whether it was food, shopping, lots of shopping, mm -hmm. um, men, you know, social media posts, whatever it was, like I would just go to the next thing to make me forget about this bad. And being in there, I have no phone, no computer, no phone calls, no family. Nothing. No, nothing. Literally just yeah. you and your thoughts. Yeah. And and other people and they're struggling with their own crap too. Right. So it was so I think since then I'm almost more sensitive to my mental health because I can feel it now, where before I was just numbing it with anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I have every behavior of an addict minus the substance. 
um, because I would do everything I could to numb out whatever I was feeling without putting a needle in my arm, right. essentially. Um, you know, if I'm being just blunt and honest, yeah. that's, that's what it is. And I, that's what I learned is that, you know, where I had nothing to numb myself with, I had to feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think I'm very sensitive to that and still trying to learn how to navigate, you know, when I do have those bad days because I'm trying not to do my old behaviors and I'm trying not to go shopping to get the high. I'm trying not to look for external validation to get a high, but those behaviors, they, they're still there. They're very, very real. They're there every single day. And it really is like a daily, okay, where am I at? Mm-hmm. Um, I really have to look at myself and say, okay, why am I, why am I trying to do this? Why am I trying to self-sabotage? Yes. And that's all that it is. It is because I, sometimes my self-worth, you know, gets depleted again. And I think that everything good in my life is going to go away anyway. So I might as well push it away. Right. That's, that's my thought. You know, I. Right. Everything's going to blow up anyway. So I'm going to yeah. blow it up first. So let's just blow it up first because then it's my Less control. painful. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if I can control it, then then that's okay. Right. You know, and so if, and same with like my, you know, abusive relationships in the past, everything was my fault. Because if it was my fault, then I can fix it. So I would apologize for everything. Oh, I'm sorry for making you mad. Oh, I'm sorry for not having your drink on time. I'm sorry for not making dinner on time. It's my fault. You know, and I would take on that so that I could fix it. Because that was my pattern is I wanted to fix everything around me. Because if everyone else was happy, then I could be happy too. Um, and now I give myself permission to say, okay, even if so-and-so is pissed off, I don't have to be pissed off. And it's not my fault. They're, they have their own feelings. And just mm-hmm. trying to take accountability for my feelings only. I can't control how other people feel. Yeah, right. I can control if I'm trying to make them feel bad, right? That's mm-hmm. something that I need to look at and, and fix for myself. But if I say something just out of honesty and it hurts someone, they have the right to be hurt. Right. And I have the right to be honest. And that's something that I'm trying to learn because it's scary. It's scary to come from being a people pleaser mm-hmm. to someone that's trying to be honest, even when it hurts someone. Right. It's, it's really hard for me to do. Even though it's it's not always coming from a bad place, but it's like, like you said, you have to really be honest with people mm-hmm. nowadays. And like you said, it makes you feel like crap. Sometimes yeah. you're like, I can't believe I have to say this yeah. to this person. Totally. But it's what, I mean, you can't, like you said, you can't keep wearing that mask. And... Mm-hmm. You have to be honest with whoever it is that you need to be honest with at that moment for not only for them, but for mostly for yourself. And then like you said, then they can take it how they want to take it. Yeah. That honest word is huge for me actually, because I've always said that one of my biggest values is honesty. Mm -hmm. I've always said that. Um, while I was in treatment, I learned that... So you said that but didn't live it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's exactly what I learned. I'm like, I am the biggest liar. Because right. nobody knows who I am. Right. No one knows what my honest to God thoughts are. No one knows how I feel. But mm-hmm. here I am preaching honesty. And I felt like a coward. I felt like a fake and I felt like a fraud. And I was thinking, I'm like, no wonder I'm so unhappy because I am not living congruent with my values. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's so funny that you say all this. Like, I feel like... We are very, we have a lot in common. I didn't realize it until now, like how much we have in common, even just our feelings about that. But I, I get that. I get what you, where you're coming from with that because that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And it's it's big. It's a big, it's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's, it is. It really is. I, and I preach that now is that, you know, if you have, you know, seven values that, that you love or that you think are important, you have to live your life congruent right. with those or you cannot be happy. Um, you know, for me, it's like hard work, honesty, um, and compassion. Those are like three of my top ones. And so if I'm doing something and it is not congruent with those, it doesn't feel right. And right. then if I do it anyway, because sometimes I do, I mean, I'm human. Sometimes right. I do things that are not congruent with my honesty mm-hmm. and I'll do them anyway. And then I don't sleep and I feel like crap and I'm yeah. so unhappy and I just Each have to like that. reset. Okay. Here we go, reset, let's let's start living this way. Because I think in the, in our work field especially, giving advice and telling all of our clients the way to live, okay. we're I mean I'm the same way. I'm great at giving advice. You come up to me about anything, I can preach your ear off and <laughs> give you the best advice on how to get through it. But then I come home and I'm like, well, I'm really good at saying that and it sounds great. But I mean until my podcast came, came out. Not very many people knew my story, unless you like worked really closely with me yeah. because of the field that we're in, like it's obviously gets shared or like you're one of my old friends. Yeah. But other than that, like new people I meet, that's kind of everyone's reaction is, oh my gosh, I would have no idea that that was happening, that that happened to you, that that was your past mm-hmm. because we're so good at kind of putting that mask on. And, but again, we 
aren't growing at all. Mm-hmm. If we're sitting there teaching everybody else but not teaching ourselves and not learning from ourselves and our own advice, we're, we're not learning anything. Yeah. We're not growing as, as people. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, I think it's amazing that you've come that far to be able to admit that. So what, where you are now, when those things come up and you, like you said, you're able to kind of look at it, okay, what's going on, what's the problem? Do you have certain things that you do to kind of snap you out of it? Yeah, um, so I mean, kind of backing up on, you know, where you said people say, um, oh, I can't believe that that's your past. Mm-hmm. I think there's a fine line between, I think we need to carry ourselves in a way that isn't saying, oh, look at all this stuff that happened right. to me, right? But also in a way that's saying, yeah, I'm strong now, but also being open with, but I have been through some crap, you mm-hmm. know? And I think there is like a, a good balance there. And so a lot of the things, you know, that work for me, like when I do feel, you know, these thoughts coming up or, you know, anything like that, my, my biggest thing that I do when I'm depressed or if I'm feeling triggers coming on is isolation. Mm-hmm. I isolate the crap out of myself. I don't answer my phone. I don't, um, I don't go see my family. I just, I isolate. You should. And so I, you know, when I notice that I'm, you know, feeling, and so now, like I said, it's been a work in progress, to be honest, but when I do feel that I am doing myself, I I make myself get out. So I go outside, um, I have a dog, I'll take him, you know, on a walk. Mm -hmm. Um, Sun to me is like, is huge. So I love the sunshine. Um, I'll do that. I do journal. Whenever I am feeling down, I do notice, like, really what it is. Sorry, I'm going to back up. I know I'm kind of all over. But when I do notice that I am feeling depressed, like, more depressed than usual, or if I am having triggers, I really think about, okay, what what have I not been doing to keep myself safe? Mm-hmm. Um, you can call them dailies, if you will. Those dailies, for me, are, are a prayer. Um, I don't, you know, I don't like meal and... You know, that's not my kind of a prayer. I actually journal my prayers mm-hmm. um, just because writing and slowing my, my mind down helps mm-hmm. me because my mind is always all, all over the place. It's, <laughs> just, it's burning <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it's just everywhere. And so I have to sit and write and then I can actually like feel a connection with my hair heart because I'm only thinking about what I'm trying to ask In for or who I'm trying to pray for, whatever it is. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing is because, you know, I'll be like, oh, I don't have time to journal today. Even though, like, I do. Yeah. Scroll through Instagram for 10 minutes. Right. Whatever. Like, really, it only takes a couple minutes out of your day. And, like you said, you can go through social media, you can do anything else, Mm -hmm. but taking that time for yourself is way harder. Yep. Yep. And and I think it is that's part of my self sabotage is that I go, I don't have time for that. And I put those things on the back burner Mm -hmm. because part of me sometimes still does think, no, you're supposed to be miserable. I have those two sides. I have those sides that say, no, you deserve so much more. And then that side that is very powerful sometimes that says, you deserve to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that when I am putting those things on the back burner, I have to snap myself into reality. So I really do say, okay, how do I, a lot of the time I don't realize how bad it's gotten until it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, last week, you know, each day it was, it was not every day was great last week. And finally, by the end of the week, I was, I was exhausted. I was bawling over nothing. I, I'm out of control. Like I, you know, and I really, and sometimes you don't even know the reason. Yeah. You're it's like, just, like what, well, what's wrong? I have no idea. I just no. feel like I'm not okay. Scary. Yeah, yeah, I just know I'm not okay. I'm not okay right now, and I don't know what is going on, and and I, I don't love myself, and I feel disgusting, and all these thoughts come back in, and mm-hmm. I have to, and so really, you know, last night I was thinking about it, I'm like, how do they, how do they get there? And it is, you know, this week I was stressed at work. There's been a lot of stuff at work, and so I try to control it all and fix it all, you know, because I still do have those, those thinking errors. I, I do. Those aren't going to go away. I just have to learn how to either live with them and, and either keep those or I have to learn how to try and maneuver them and, and fix them and, and change them a little bit mm-hmm. so that they work for me. But, you know, it's the prayer that's huge for me. I know I've said that a couple times, but prayer is huge um, and, and getting outside is huge. But I think prayer, like you said, is huge because everyone needs that higher power. You need to need something. Yeah. And needing something out of a person isn't going to ever get you no. anywhere. No. So from a higher power is where you're going to get that from. Yeah. Whether that's, that's God, you know, for me it's God as well, but other people, it's other things, meditating, whatever it is that they need, you you have to take that time for yourself, yeah. whether it's two minutes or 30 minutes. Like you have to make sure you put those things yeah. ahead of everything else. Yeah. And something that I do with that is like, I'll be really, really good at praying. I'm really connected. Then I start feeling really good mm-hmm. and I stop praying I stop. and I try and take the reins again. 
Um, the one thing that I have, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the 12 steps, but mm -hmm. I, I love the 12 steps because you can work them with anything. Right. I mean, when I was in treatment, I worked the 12 steps on relationships. I, I was I was powerless over other people's relationships mm -hmm. because I wanted to fix everything. And, and that's one thing that I've noticed is that, you know, I don't have the reins all the time. Mm -hmm. My God has the reins, and now I'm like, thank you for taking the reins because I can't control all these idiots. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I, I do feel like you know I have this pattern, but now that I've noticed the pattern, I can I'm starting to correct it. But my pattern is I pray, 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 pray. I feel really connected. I take the reins again. I go out of control. Things suck. Things are not going my way. I'm super depressed. Oh crap! I haven't been praying. Okay, here we go. Pray, 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 pray. Feel really good. Take the reins. Yeah. And it's just this pattern and cycle that, that I have. I mean, it's it's insanity. Something you have to learn to do every day, even when things are good. And I remember, learn that, remember yeah. my old pastor, his wife, always always tell me that, like, even when things are good, pray that, like about those good things. Yeah. Because even if it's just giving, like, being thankful for those things, whatever it is, because that's gonna what's keep you. That's what's gonna keep you humble. Yeah. You know. Yeah. My biggest like self, you know, thinking error or. Um, you know, uh, what is it, character defect, if you will, is that I like to take credit for the good. Mm -hmm. So when things are going good, I like to say, yeah, I did a really good job. Go me. I've gotten so far. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm not like, thank you. Yeah. That. But when things are really bad, I'm like, please help me, help me, help me. I need your help. I need your help. And then things right. are good. And I'm like, damn, good job, child. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I have oh, to, yeah, I have to, like, that is one of the biggest character defects that I've been working on, especially the last few months, because like I said, I have realized the cycle that I go through. And so I'm trying to fix that cycle because that cycle does not bring me happiness. Mm -hmm. That cycle brings me chaos. Um, and I and now that I know that, like I said, knowledge is power. I think mm -hmm. knowledge is scary. Knowledge is so scary, right. but it can also be power if you choose to let it be power. Um, and for me, that knowledge is saying, okay, this cycle, this is what I've done for my entire life, and all it does is bring me chaos and unhappiness. Right. So do I want to keep going with that, or do I want to change it? Right. And so I really am trying to work on that defect of of taking the credit for the good and and really just thinking that I have the power to mm -hmm. do that because I don't. Right. I mean, I get the power through my higher power. Right. You don't have to do it on your own. Yeah. Right. Um, so I have a couple questions for you. What would you tell your younger self now if you could? What would be the biggest thing that you would tell her? Man. One would be sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, wow, that's a, that's a good one. Um, it would, it would be sorry. Um, you know, my my little brain, like I said, you know, before and earlier, is that my little brain didn't know how to take all the stimuli that I was getting. And so it took it the way that it could and it rolled with it. Mm -hmm. um, and since I did that, I began to put myself down because of the way that I thought, the way that I believed, you know, and, and really just having compassion for that younger self. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and really, we didn't go into um, my rape at all, but I think that that was part of what triggered a lot of the eating disorder too. But you know, I I so I just real short. Yeah, no, I want to know about that. Um, I think that's a huge thing that triggers. Yeah, and I, I can't even believe that I like forgot this. So it happened right before I went on that national trip to with my drill team. Oh, okay. um, so I I was raped, um, and then went on this trip, and I think I had felt so out of control. That I think that was part of one of the bigger triggers too. You were just um, holding all of that. Uh huh. And um, I ended up having an abortion from that rape um, that I kept a secret. Oh wow. So um, yeah, I mean, I kind of just like lost track of where I was going. Oh, my younger self. So I, you know, I mean, seventeen years old. I I did the best that I could. You know, mm -hmm. I made the best decision that I knew how to do at that moment. At that moment. Right. Yep. And I, and I think and I beat myself up for it. I didn't tell anyone about that for 10 years. I mm -hmm. kept that in me for 10 years. Um, my dad had found out about it, but we didn't talk about it. You know, we, he briefly mentioned it, then it was done. And I held on to that for 10 years and felt like crap. And, you know, something that I learned with my therapist, especially like I said over the last year and a half, is he's saying, you know, have compassion for that younger self because you right. did the best you could. Mm -hmm. Now you would have made a different decision. Right. But then you didn't know a different decision. And that's something that I always like like to push is that you only can do what you know. Right. And unless you're right. willing to learn more, you're gonna keep on doing what you know. You're gonna keep and on at 17 years old, you're still 
like you still don't know who you are. You're yeah. still growing as a person. And that's a huge, huge thing to something to happen to you and have to make such a big decision. Yeah. So when that happened, was it if you don't mind asking, was it like a date rate? Was it somebody you knew? You know, I, I hung out with a lot of people that I shouldn't have. Um, again, I, I hung out with these people because of my insecurities. I kind of hung out with misfits, if you will, because it made me feel like I fit in, sort mm-hmm. of. Um, I also fit, like would hang out with like, the bad boys because I felt like if they wanted me, then, then I was wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I had went over to you know this guy's house with a friend of mine that was on drill with me, and they were you know gang-related. and not good dudes um we had gone over there a couple times um and one of the nights yeah we went over there and i mind you i'm a virgin at this time um i would talk the talk but i was so afraid of doing anything anything. um and i think you know and i think i blamed myself a lot of time because of that i said gosh why do i talk about it all the time and i I made him think that and and um but when it was happening you know people say that you have either fight or flight but there's also a third one in there that people don't talk about and it's fight flight or freeze Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I froze. I, I didn't want to, and I, I think it maybe saved my life. I mean, like I said, these were scary dudes. I think me fighting back would have caused more wreckage. More than danger to yourself. Right. Um, and I also was afraid that if I fought back, then I would be outcasted. Um, mm-hmm. And that fear to me was was more than what was going on. Right. Um, you know, because of, of my belief system about myself. And so I froze during that time. Um, and I, I, you know, I kind of blacked it out for a long time. I even forgot the guy's name for at least eight years. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple years ago, it just came to me one day. And I was like, oh, that's what the name was. Yeah, I, I just, I, I froze at the time. So yeah, I did know him. I had met him a couple times. But it wasn't like a boyfriend yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, that's huge. And it makes sense of why you did the things you did. And that's what you do need to give yourself that grace for is like, you went down the road you went down for a little while because of what happened to you and rape is just such a huge thing and like you said this is why it was so important for me to talk about this and to bring all this to light that people sweep under the rug because you were ashamed and that shouldn't have been the case you shouldn't have been ashamed of protecting what you needed to protect yourself at that time at 17 years old you were still a child and you know, and then also the whole freeze thing. That's what happens. That's so much more common than any of those other things. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that when those things would happen to me, I would freeze. I, I would, I stopped fighting after the first while because at that point there's, there was no point. And yeah. so freezing is how you survive. And that's how people survive to get through it at that moment. Totally. So from talking about that, does that still something you, have you worked through that? Is that something that you think affects your mental health now? Or what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting is um, over the weekend when I was thinking about where, where am I at, what's going on, um, and how I've talked about these cycles. So something that I learned a couple of years ago in therapy is that I do have this cycle from about August to December are rough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raped in August. Mm-hmm. Um, my eating disorder also started in August. Um, then come all of the holidays with food, where mm-hmm. I had major anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. And so from August to about December, January is, is harder for me, and I didn't really realize why, but looking back on all of the time, all of these years, I would be in the most abusive relationships at the time. I would be you know, out partying more, um, you know, binge drinking more. I would be maybe having triggers for my eating disorder more, and I didn't really put it together until a couple of years ago that, you know, that's our brain's way of protecting us, right. even though it's not safe. It's mm-hmm. the only way that our brain knows how to, okay, we don't want to think about this, so let's get all these things, let's help us out. Right. Um, you know, and even working in the field that I work in, I, I notice, you know, a lot of my clients, they, they relapse at the same time mm-hmm. every year or every couple months, they relapse, and it's just this cycle, you know, almost like, you know, the sun, the sun setting, and and coming and rising you know it's just like the cycle that happens for us and until we know you know what is triggering those things we can't really change them but yeah so august august is you know particularly rough and i feel i do feel like i feel every august i feel very unsafe Mm -hmm. um and lots of anxiety um and and i never really like you know put together why and you know some years it's fine like the last two years it's been fine this year already i mean we're only august 4th but already the last couple of days, I have had this higher sense of anxiety, um, kind of looking over my shoulder, so you know, more. type of a thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think that, you know, it still affects me. Um, I am definitely more open about it, which I think helps because, 
you know, secrets are heavy, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think secrets keep us sick. Um, the more we hold on to, the sicker we are. Right. Um, and so I think the more we can release out, you know, that's less toxins that we're holding inside, right. essentially. Um, so, I, you know, it does affect me for sure mentally, but it doesn't affect me in the way that it used to, where, you know, it affects me in all the other self-sabotaging ways um, that, that it used to go down. You know, eating disorders, that type of thing, I'll still have triggers, but I don't act on them. Right. Um, I think that's the difference now in my strength is where before I would act on it, whether it was, you know, partying, eating disorders, whatever it was, drinking, um, and now it's like, okay, the thoughts are there. Um, but do I want to choose to do that or not? Right. Um, kind of being, kind of learning how to be less impulsive, um, you know, and really stopping to think, okay, think through it. here's my decisions that I have, rather than just being like, all right, screw it, here we go. Yeah. This is going to make me feel good real fast. Right. Um, and now I can say, okay, yes, that would be really quick, it made me feel good, but then after, I'm going to feel even worse. Right. You know, and so, so you're letting like, yourself feel it right now. Yeah. Whenever it comes up, you're letting yourself feel it so you can work through it. Yeah. In a good way instead yeah. of going to all those negative self-sabotaging yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, you have to feel it. You have to deal with it. Otherwise, you don't ever heal from it. Right. You know? I mean, we have, I just quoted a shirt that we have. It says, feel, deal, heal. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do believe that. I mean, you have to feel your emotions, then you have to deal with those emotions, mm-hmm. and then you can heal from them. Right. All the time. Until you do those two steps, it's, you won't heal. Yeah. And exactly. that's, that's 100% true. Yep. Okay. Um, so what advice would you give someone who's struggling with not only an eating disorder, but now even just past traumas and all the stuff that you went through, like someone who's been in a similar situation um, before it gets too bad, what advice would I you give? I mean, I would say ask for help mm-hmm. um, and I know that that is the scariest thing and the last thing that you want to do when you're dealing with this kind of thing mm-hmm. um, because you want to just make it go away and so I think a lot of the times we think talking about it makes it come to us more um, but it's the only way like I said the more we hold on to it I mean if you think about it as like a toxin inside of your body toxins inside of your body only grow and get worse so the longer we hold on to that the heavier it gets the, right. the, the you know dirtier it gets um, and until we talk talk about that and get those toxins out, we really can't heal. And so my best advice would be if you don't have a friend or a parent or a guardian that you can go to, call a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, do some research on Google, reach out to you, reach out to me so that I can mm-hmm. help you get to someone that can help. Right. Um, but professional help. Um, I do think that you know talking to your friends or parents can be helpful, but you need that professional yeah, help for sure. Yeah, because I think a lot of the time, you know, people like to belittle things, um, mm-hmm. and you have to find someone safe because you know the last thing you want to hear is, "Oh yeah, that's bad," but guess what happened to me? Right. You know, like you don't want to hear that, or "Oh, just forget it." Right. You don't move on either. Yeah. Yeah. So I think getting a professional to help you is is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, even self help books. Um, that would be my biggest thing because it, it can only get worse. Right. That's, that's well, like you said, reaching out to family, what advice can you give to family who has somebody who's dealing with this and comes to them? Like, especially because you didn't have your family at the time because you didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would still go the professional route if, you know, I would like to think that if I had a daughter and she came to me and had something bad happen to her, I'd say, okay, let's, let's, let's help you. Um, I know that I'm not equipped professionally to right. help her with that. And so I would say do do your research if you you know are a parent of a child or you're a guardian of someone that, that needs your help or even just a friend of someone, do some research, find some places that, that can help them because they might not want the help now. They might just, you know, it kind of comes in steps. Maybe they just wanted to let you know, hey, this happened to me, but I don't want to talk about it. I just want to let you know, but I'm not ready for anything else. Do some research so that when they are ready, you have some good solid resources on the table to just say okay let's go right um so yeah research i think for sure okay and i think also validating also is a huge mm-hmm. thing oh yeah. validating their feelings about what they're yes. doing like you said don't be like oh i'm sorry you're dealing with that but when i was a teenager i dealt with this and yeah it's much worse or whatever yeah. the situation is make sure you're validating how they're feeling at that moment because that's going to be the huge breaking point of whether they're going to come to you again or not yes or ask for help again. 100%, yeah. I mean, everyone has the right to feel the way that they're feeling, whether you understand it or not. Right. Um, And yeah, so I think just being respectful of those feelings and also just being respectful of the fact that they felt comfortable with you. Mm -hmm. And don't don't turn that into a shunning, shaming experience for them. For sure. So they want to do it again. Well, Shalom, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I learned a lot that I didn't know and I think it's amazing and I think you're very inspirational. And I know, like you said, you're going to have those times where you're going to struggle, but I think you're doing an amazing job. And 
I want you to just see what other people see in yourself, and I think you're learning that, and I think that will, that's the fact that you are learning that is shining through. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you're not pretending anymore, and you can see that. You can see that, the authentic you, and I think that's what's going to help more people is to see that you're not faking it anymore, that you're true to yourself. So thank you for coming, and you guys, follow my Facebook and Instagram at Candle in a Dark Room, and we will talk to you guys soon. Thank you.